0: Welcome to The Preconception Podcast, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to guiding women through the preconception period. Our mission is to make sure you have the information you need in order to have the healthiest pregnancy possible, whether that happens next month or next year. The decisions you make today can significantly impact the health of you and your future children for years to come. So each week on our podcast, we'll discuss one piece of the preconception puzzle, this way, you can enter pregnancy empowered, informed, and in the best health possible. Join us on your journey and have today be the day you start planning your perfect pregnancy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Preconception Podcast. Today, we have a guest speaker Nora DeBora, who is a preconception health coach and holistic nutritionist on the podcast with us today. So hi, Nora. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Christy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So I'd love if we could just start off by you telling our listeners a little bit about your background and training and how you became uh, a preconception health coach and a holistic nutritionist. Absolutely. So
1: as a preconception health coach and holistic nutritionist, basically what I do is I help women prepare their body for pregnancy and have a healthy baby after 30. My background actually started um, in psychology. I did my undergrad in psych and then I did a postgrad in HR. Um, And I actually worked here in Toronto. I live in Toronto at a pediatric hospital um, in HR and in kind of like the corporate world. In the first half of my, you know, career of life, I had co- come to this realization that the corporate world was not my true calling. And I decided to take a yoga class to help me find some clarity in the confusion that I was facing in my life at the time. And in that first yoga class that I had ever taken, I went to a hot yoga class that was like sweating out of my eyeballs, water drip coming up my nose. <laughs> I was like, what is this? But I was hooked. So the reason why I like to start with that is because I would say this entire journey actually started with yoga. Um, I grew up as a competitive dancer for 15 years. And so coming to a yoga mat in a practice that really required a lot of strength and flexibility really brought me back to my true passion for movement, for health, and for spirituality. And within four months of taking that very first yoga class, I signed up to do yoga teacher training. And this was back in 2010, so about 10 years ago now. And as part of my teacher training, we had a course on Ayurveda. So, so it's an Eastern philosophy of medicine that heals through like the mind, the body, and the spirit. So it really is a holistic view um, on somebody's life and how to heal them. And so after I completed my yoga teacher training, I was so intrigued about Ayurveda that I signed up for another 200-hour Ayurveda practitioner course. And like, I was just so hungry for so much information at this time, because I was kind of like stuck in this corporate job that I was not fulfilled by. And while I was going through the Ayurveda practitioner course, I learned about holistic nutrition. And so once I graduated the Ayurveda program, I signed myself up for a two-year program at the Institute of Holistic Nutrition, again, here in Toronto. And after I graduated nutrition school, I wanted to learn more about women's health and pregnancy. So I took a continuing education course on pregnancy and early childhood nutrition, and that's really where the lo- um, where my love for this niche all began. But I also have a personal side of the story to this, so I'll I'll throw that in there as well because I think it is also quite relevant. Um, so also for me, as you know, as a woman in my late 30s, I've always wanted to be a mom, and I knew this from a very early age. I actually claimed like my youngest brother as my own baby when he was born. So I was six when my youngest brother was born and I already had three older brothers. So you can imagine that my mom was like very happy to have me step in and help her with with, with the fifth child in the family. <laughs> um, but as I grew older and I, and I decided to switch my careers in my, my career path, like in my late 20s, I essentially had to start my career from scratch. So as somebody who is like extremely ambitious and focused on growing my business, I knew that in my early thirties, that having children would actually come later in life for me. And as I was looking into my options on how to preserve my own fertility, something in me just like didn't want to go the fertility clinic route and freeze my eggs. That was just my personal choice. So I decided to focus my research and my practice on how to naturally preserve fertility and optimize fertility because I was realizing like, I can't be the only woman in this position. So to this day, like I practice a preconception lifestyle myself, um, along with helping my clients, um, get pregnant as well to, to, to essentially increase my own chances of getting pregnant when the time comes for me. So, so there's a little bit of a background.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great that's a great story and such an interesting path how like one thing led you to another and led you to another and led you to another. I think that's really common for a lot of us entrepreneurs who don't necessarily start out like wanting to be an entrepreneur. It almost just like happens, like when you find this this area that you find a gap in, in the in the system or that you become really passionate about. And then by default almost you become like an entrepreneur. <laughs>
1: Exactly. And and it's really cool to observe and like watch yourself move through like the, the, the process of all of it, because it's, I mean, as, as overwhelming and exciting and nerve wracking as it is, it's also such like a beautiful evolution of just growth and development as a human, especially when it's tied to your professional life too. Right. So it's, it's definitely been a, a, a wild ride, but fun to say the least.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I can totally relate to that. And um, as you may know, we had uh, a functional nutritionist on our podcast a while back who talked about the importance of nutrition when it relates to egg and sperm quality, um, which very much, of course, affects fertility and the ability to get pregnant, the ability to have a healthy pregnancy once you get pregnant because I think a lot of people oftentimes forget that it's not just about getting pregnant but it's about having a healthy pregnancy once you're there. Um, and so that's really where we feel like the preconception period and evaluations and you know lifestyle changes and whatnot come in um, is supporting that healthy pregnancy, that goal of having a healthy baby and a healthy pregnancy and a healthy mom. Um, And so I think that what you're doing very much relates to, you know, the goals that we have at preconception. So could you talk a little bit more about maybe what the difference is between a regular nutritionist and a holistic nutritionist, um, both in training and then also like approach to nutrition? Absolutely.
1: A holistic nutritionist is trained with the mindset that the body already has everything that it needs to heal itself and thrive but we just have to give it the right tools and put it in the right environment um, in order for the body to thrive and, and, and heal and grow. So that said, a holistic nutritionist really is a practitioner who helps bring balance and optimal health to a person's life by not only focusing just on nutrition, because that's pretty self-explanatory considering our title, um, but also we look at environment and lifestyle factors. So we look at the mind, the body, and the spirit and the different components that are like that the mind, body and spirit have in the, this, this person's lifestyle so that everything can come together and be cohesive and balanced. So we really look at lifestyle factors in conjunction with nutrition. I love that you asked that question, what's the difference between like a nutritionist and a holistic nutritionist? Well, I, I would say because I'm from I live in Canada, what we have here we, they're called dietitians. And so people usually ask, like, what's the difference between a dietitian, which I guess maybe is similar to a nutritionist, um, versus holistic nutrition? And and the best way to differentiate that is a dietitian um, and potentially a nutritionist is really kind of mandated by um, you know the, the the government's food guide and government regulations based on certain nutrition requirements for the body. And this is specifically what they focus on to help, I guess, a client bring more balance, um, back to their life. But as a holistic nutritionist, that word holistic at the beginning, we've been trained to look at, as I mentioned, the lifestyle, um, like the energetic slash spiritual side of somebody's life. In addition to, um, you know, exercise and stress management, like we really take a holistic approach. Um, when, when it comes to kind of healing, healing, um, healing the body or optimizing health, I should say.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the prenatal nutritionist on Instagram or not, but she talks about her journey to becoming an entrepreneur as well and starting her own business. And part of that journey was working in the U.S. um, in the WIC program that we have, which is a like nutrition program for um, low-income women and children. And she talks about how she was, in fact, mandated to prescribe or provide certain advice um, despite knowing that it was outdated and how she felt very conflicted about that. Um, and so I think that you're very right that depending especially on what what position you take and what job you take and, you know, what country you're in and whatnot, that sometimes these um, dietitians or like standard nutritionists are, in fact, mandated or required to provide certain information, even if they know it's outdated or you know not um, evidence-based at this point.
1: Absolutely, I, to, I 100% agree with with your point there. Yes, so I, I think that would be like the main differentiator between because the the Institute of Holistic Nutrition is a private school, right? Like this is it's it's privately it's privately run, um, privately funded. So you know they've they're able to teach what, what they want to teach, right. As opposed to having to follow a certain, a a certain script from the government. So yeah, I feel very grateful, um, to have that education behind me because I really do notice it, it makes a huge difference in people's lives.
0: Definitely. And now you have a technique that you follow that you call the four R's to getting pregnant. And we'll talk about that later on the podcast. But I just want to have a bit of an idea of how you developed that that technique or program um, and what like led you to developing the, these four R's, as you call it. Yes.
1: So my four R's to getting pregnant is essentially a methodology that's used to help women naturally preserve and optimize fertility by following four specific steps. And each of these steps compound on each other. So Again, high level, the four R's, the first one is remove, right? We're removing inflammatory toxic foods and lifestyle factors that aren't serving you. The second one is to replace. You replace um, uh, these inflammatory and toxic foods and lifestyle activities that uh, no longer serve you with nutrient-dense fertility foods and lifestyle activities that support and heal a woman's body. Then the third step is to repair, to repair the gut in order to digest and assimilate the food. And the fourth is rebalance. So we rebalance your hormones by eating and exercising for your menstrual cycle. So high level, we have remove, replace, repair, and rebalance. So how did I come up with this? Well, I guess first off, I want to start by just quickly talking about the preconception period, which you already know about just for the listeners, because ideally the preconception timeframe is so important to implement this methodology. Now, As you know, women are born with all of her eggs, right? Unlike our male counterparts who continue to produce sperm well into their later life. Now, for a woman, it it takes three months for one of these primordial eggs that we're born with to mature until it becomes what's called an oocyte, which is an immature egg. Then that oocyte, in the simplest of terms, is actually the very beginning of a human life. And then throughout the process of ovulation, this immature egg eventually matures and becomes an ovum, which is a mature egg. And this then has the potential to be fertilized by a sperm. So you can already see like three months prior to even conceiving, there's so much happening in the woman's body and reproductive system um, that's going on to to develop a mature egg so that it can be fertilized so that you can get pregnant. Now, typically once a woman finds out that she is pregnant, She usually at that point picks up nutrition books, abides by all the rules, and really takes great care of herself um, to care for her unborn baby. However, we now know that everything that she does like three months prior to actually conceiving will not only affect the health of the baby, but it's also going to affect her chances of getting pregnant. So when I explain this to my clients or when I work with my clients, I have this analogy that I use to help really like paint a clear picture so that they understand why this preconception period is so important. And I always relate a baby to a seed and the soil for this seed to the mama's body. So if we think about like a plant or a tree, like what was in the soil that really nourished that tiny seed to take root and grow? The nutrients in um, a woman's body, which is we could use again, the analogy is which is like the soil, will determine if that seed is actually able to grow and be healthy, and develop into this mature plant. So this is why this preconception period is so, so important. And, and so that being said, there's, like, I use my four R's in this preconception time frame to help women, like, optimize their fertility. Now, I'd say about 90% of the clients that I work with only actually find me after they've started trying without a positive test. But for me, it's ideal for a woman c- to come to me like at least a year or six months or three months prior to even being like, I know we want to have a baby. So as, as I've been working with women over the years, I'd say especially you know, 90% who've come to me with um, you know, having a, a hard time getting pregnant or not getting a positive test you know, within the first few months of trying, I started to notice a pattern and a trend like in their overall health most of these women had imbalanced hormones. They were eating the wrong foods. They were not managing their stress well, and they were overstimulating their nervous system, which I think most of us can attest to here in North America. <laughs> and ultimately this was creating low, chronic low-grade inflammation throughout their entire body. And this over time impairs the gut and it leads to hormone imbalances creating like dis-ease and ultimately compromising fertility. So so after a few years of seeing this pattern over and over again, I started to come up with my own method that really addressed all of these needs. So going back to the seed and soil analogy, I thought, what is the most simple yet effective way to clean up our soil? So essentially to create an environment for that seed to grow and to flourish. So I took what I was already doing with my clients, like in like piecemealing, you know, I was helping them balance their hormones here. I was helping them, you know, clean up their diet there. I was helping repair their gut. Um, but I realized like there's a common pattern here. Like, and so this, this is when I just decided, like I had this like Eureka light bulb moment and I was like, let me just create a method out of this because, um, and, and I find creating a method out of it really helps the client or the woman understand what she is doing, what steps she needs to do first. It helps keep her accountable. It helps keep her focused. Um, and it it kind of sustains her towards the end goal. So that's kind of like a little bit of the backstory of how I developed it. Um, and as you said, too, kind of like we were talking about at the beginning about an entrepreneur's evolution of growing, it's the methodology kind of happened the same, <laughs> the same way, right? Like, over years of working with clients and, and noticing certain patterns, I was able to kind of fine-tune, tweak, fine-tune, tweak, fine-tune, tweak until I was like, holy, like this is clear to me. And that's when I just pulled all the information together and was like, this is now my method.
0: That's, that's great. Thank you so much. That's super helpful at understanding that. And, um, what evidence have you found, either before you developed this method or um, since developing it, that it works? Like, um, what you know, what essentially made you say this is this is like what I need to do. This is what our clients need to do. This is like the path that I want to take my clients through.
1: So, I guess first and foremost, um, I was getting the or my clients were getting the results. So either clients were coming to me and they were having a hard time getting pregnant. And then I started putting them through the program or through my method program. Uh, and and they, they, they ended up conceiving within you know, three to five months of, of, of doing the plan. So to me, like that was extremely rewarding and kind of evidence enough as well. Like, okay, this is working. But obviously throughout the process of developing this method and working with women throughout the years, I've just done so much research myself. And um, I guess there's a few evidence-based approaches from different studies that were done that really helped solidify and validate for me that the like these are specific principles that help optimize fertility. And I guess the first one would be is that um, I found this stat a, a little while ago and don't remember the details of it, but I I remember finding it through the um, Journal of American Medical Women's Association and when I saw this stat, it just blew my mind. And they found that diet alone can increase your chances of getting pregnant by 80%, just diet. And I remember when I found that it just blew my mind. I'm like, this just makes total sense. So that's when I was like, you know, honing in on the, the nutrition piece. Um, And there was another study done um, in 2008 by the Harvard nurses health study. And they followed over 18,000 women in a long-term research project. Um, to assess the impact, again, of diet on health and fertility. And they found that women were six times more likely to conceive if they consumed a diet high in folate, rich in complex carbs, and steered clear of excess sugar and refined carbs, while also following certain lifestyle trends. And lifestyle trends were like, you know, like doing yoga and managing their stress. So there was that piece as well um, through my research, what I had found. And last but not least, um, there was a big study that... um, really spoke to me, which looked at chronic inflammation and um and the gut, the microbiome. And there was a study done by a medical doctor, his name was Ito Sirota at uh, the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology in New York. And they did a big study on the influence of your microbiome, which essentially is the colony of bacteria that lives in your gut. Um, on infertility and uh, assisted reproductive technology. So they, they pretty much looked at how your gut health is going to impact infertility. And they found results that directly correlated with chronic inflammation due to a compromised gut. So they found that chronic inflammation impacts reoccurring pregnancy loss, so miscarriage. They found that chronic inflammation also caused a decrease in progesterone levels, which is what women need to help their body get and keep the pregnancy. So they found that chronic inflammation uh, decreased uh, progesterone levels, leading to implantation failure, right? To so even getting pregnant. And they found that chronic inflammation impacted the development of autoimmune um, processes that uh, ultimately impact uh, fertility. So so there's a lot of research done um, in the background to kind of help support a lot of the pieces of the puzzle that I'm doing within my methodology, I guess, but overall, these four R's to getting pregnant, you know, I haven't actually thrown this into a research study myself. (laughs) My research study is my client's. (laughs) So, so that's, so that's what I can, I guess I can share uh, with regards to some evidence.
0: Yeah. And those are pretty powerful numbers. I mean, 80% higher chance of getting pregnant, six times rate. I mean, those are really big numbers that we're talking about. That's not like a five or 10% difference. So when you hear that research, it's kind of shocking. And, you know, this no longer shocks me because I've now worked in the preconception arena for a while and I've read a lot of these studies myself, but it still, in some way, is shocking that. There is not more attention put on the preconception period, right? Like these are major changes, and people are suffering from, as you mentioned, infertility and pregnancy loss and pregnancy complications that are very much preventable uh, with just like the appropriate attention in the preconception period. And so, do you have any thoughts, uh, especially coming from Canada? You know, in the US, I think that we can all agree that the healthcare system um, is not ideal, but. It sounds like even maybe in Canada, there's not this like big focus on preconception care either. Is that true? I I
1: agree with you. As a practitioner in this industry, it's definitely coming more to the forefront, especially within the last few uh, few years. Like when, when I first started doing this, you know, it was also pretty relatively new to me, right? And as you do more research and as you dive into something, you start seeing it more and more places, right? Um, but it's not as prevalent or as mainstream as maybe you and I would like it to be. And especially now, especially now, like there's also so many stats showing that women are waiting longer to have babies. So, you know, we're living in 2020, you know, women are focusing on their career. Hello. Like this is my personal story too, myself. Women are focusing career. They're waiting to find their, you know, their life partner. They're dating longer. And so it's so much more important especially now for women who are waiting longer to have babies to focus on this preconception period, because I mean, biology is biology and women's fertility does naturally decline as you age. That is no secret. But I I think there's a lot of fear mongering there as well. And, um, you know, just because you're over 30, it doesn't mean you have to spend tens of thousands of dollars to freeze your eggs, or it doesn't mean that you are going to have multiple miscarriages, or it doesn't mean a hundred percent that you are going to have a hard time getting pregnant. There's definitely statistics to support. It might be a little bit more challenging, or you might have, um, it might take a little bit longer to get pregnant, but the underlying factor there is how healthy is your body? Like, like what is the standard? What is your standard of health? How healthy is your body and is your body in an optimal state? to conceive because women are like biologically speaking and evolutionary wise, like we've been doing this since the dawn of time, the woman's body is meant to procreate, right? So our body knows what to do. It knows what to do and it can do it effortlessly. But, um, you know, we live in a very busy world. We're overstimulated. We're bombarded with, you know, work and relationships and stress and activities and all of those things that, that, throw our bodies off balance and when when we don't take good care of ourselves or um and and you know we're bombarded by lots of kind of i guess scares from the media about you know having a baby later in life it doesn't do us a service so this is why I'm so happy to be on here chatting with you because I think it's so important to educate and empower women on their own bodies and their own health and what they can do to stay healthy and preserve their own their own fertility.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's a really important point to make that when we talk about preconception care, we're by no means saying that you can't get pregnant without it or that you won't have a healthy baby without it. But we're saying that if you know that you do want to become pregnant and especially as you mentioned, people are planning their pregnancies further in advance because they're delaying their pregnancies, like why would you not take the steps that could quite significantly improve your chances of getting pregnant, having a healthy baby, especially when – we're seeing such high rates of chronic diseases, gestational diabetes, things like preeclampsia, um, autism, you know, all of these things that are multifactorial where it's not just one thing where you can point to that and say, okay, if I change this, it will, you know, remove my risk of X, Y condition. It, it There's so many factors that go into it. And that's why the preconception period is so important because it gives you that time and chance to, you know, change your nutrition to get the appropriate tests that you need to you know speak with your healthcare provider about your uh, medical conditions and how they might influence pregnancy and what you can do beforehand to decrease those risks and things like that all of the things that once you become pregnant you lose the ability to do or you know that takes away your ability to make significant changes in some cases um and so i'm always super happy when I see other people like yourself who are really focused on the preconception period, because while I completely agree that it has become more well known in the last couple of years, I would say that there's still a large majority of women who have never heard the term preconception um, and who have no idea what they should be doing, but would be making changes if they if they did, you know? Um, and so that's of course one of the reasons why we started this podcast is just to improve the general education about the preconception period and allow women to see all of the steps that they can take, you know, like yourself while they're knowing that they want to get pregnant in the future, but aren't at that place yet. Exactly. And, and it's kind of, it's twofold as well,
1: because you're improving your overall health. So you'll feel better. Like just generally, you're going to feel better. Your, you know, your menstrual cycle is going to get healthier. You're going to have more energy. You're going to sleep better. Like these are obviously we all want to be healthy and do the best we can for our own health to live a healthy long life. But when you're focusing on preconception there's obviously certain things that you should place more attention and focus on when it you're 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 looking in the future to grow a baby in your belly. There's you know certain specific things that you should maybe place more emphasis on. But generally speaking it also just like I wish to be able to educate even young girls about like just here's what you need to do for general overall health. And like, if you know, as a little girl that you want to have a baby later in life, here's some things you need to know about about your health and what you should do and what you shouldn't do, because this is going to compromise your chances of getting pregnant. And this will optimize your chances of getting pregnant. So yeah, like this is why I say like three months would be three months is like the bare minimum. But I would love to be able to work with women, you know, even six months or a year in advance, or if you have You know, if you don't have a regular cycle or if you have a chronic health problem, like that stuff should be addressed, you know, a few years in advance so you can really balance out your body and your system so that when you do decide to get pregnant, your chances are much higher.
0: Totally. And, you know, the overall message is that it's never too early to start living the preconception lifestyle because even if you were to never become pregnant, it would help you in, you know, a myriad of other ways in your life. Um, I, I, yeah, people often are like, oh, well, I'm going to wait until, you know, a month before I become pregnant to start taking, you know, a prenatal vitamin, or I'm going to, um, you know, wait until I'm pregnant to make changes, as you mentioned earlier. And it's like, while that's great. That's still a little bit too late. You know, like I think that people now are coming around to the idea that they need to do something before pregnancy, but they're thinking like a month before but as you mentioned, you've lost the opportunity to improve the eggs that are going to make you pregnant in a month, you know? Um, and so we just need to push that, that understanding back a little bit farther and say, no, come to us a year or two years or, you know, something um, when you know that you want to become pregnant in advance, like come to us then so we can at least evaluate and see what needs to do, what needs to change. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So – Let's go through each of the four R's that you mentioned earlier and um, have you talk a little bit more in depth about each of them. Sure. So
1: so the first one, um, the first step is to remove. So you, you've you got to remove inflammatory toxic foods um, and even lifestyle factors. You know, if, if you, you love going out and partying and binge drinking three nights a week, that's a lifestyle factor that you're probably going to have to reassess. <laughs> um, and you want to remove these kind of like toxic inflammatory foods and activities that are creating an acidic environment in your body, which which um promotes low grade inflammation throughout the body and it also compromises your gut health. So, for remove, I say I have like my top five inflammatory foods that I say are like a big. Let's really reduce these as much as you can or completely eliminate them if, if that's doable for the individual. And these top five inflammatory foods, and this will not be a surprise to most of your listeners or yourself, would, is the first one is gluten. Um, gluten is, as you might know, like the main protein found in wheat products that really give it its elasticity. And unfortunately, today, the modern wheat really is causing severe digestive disorders um, for a lot of people contributing again to inflammation and autoimmune conditions. And especially if somebody has thyroid, uh, a thyroid disorder or a thyroid issue, gluten is uh, is a big no-no for the thyroid gland. Um, and all of this does uh, impact fertility. So I say gluten is a pro-inflammatory. So it, it promotes inflammation and can throw off your hormones when trying to get pregnant. Um, the second inflammatory food is caffeine. So like, I don't think we know anybody that um, really, um, does well with an adrenaline rush, right? Like nobody really does. I mean, it feels good for a second when you're nice and high, but then you come crashing down after. So caffeine, like all the work that you're doing to balance stress hormones will be in vain. If you are forcing your body to release cortisol by drinking coffee all the time. So the body really needs time to rest and recover regularly. And so by getting too much caffeine, you're actually pushing your body beyond its natural limits, forcing it to like run on fumes and crash. So I say, you know, caffeine is also a big, um, uh, a big thing that people should, that women should be removing um, when they know that they want to start getting pregnant. Alcohol is another one. Alcohol um, kills the good bacteria in your gut. And it also leaches minerals and B vitamins um, from your body and it messes with your sleep. And um, if you're... I'd say like if you're just starting to think about getting pregnant and you're like, you know, I maybe want to get pregnant next year or a year and a half, you know, you can take your time tapering and maybe, you know, no more than like two to three glasses of wine a week. But if you're over 35 and you've been trying for six months without a positive test, I'd say like quit cold turkey is your best bet. Um, And then the two other inflammatory foods are Um, Sugar, it's not only found in candies and sweets like, you know, Sour Patch Kids and and all that Halloween candy stuff, but it's actually hidden in most foods like yogurt, bread, ketchup, hummus, chicken, bacon, pasta sauce, baby formula, sugar is everywhere. And sugar as well, just like alcohol, because alcohol breaks down to sugar, it sucks up all the minerals and B vitamins that are responsible for, for keeping your hormones balanced. So finding natural sugar alternatives and minimizing um, the amount of, of, of refined carbs and choosing the right complex carbs is ideal. And then the last inflammatory food can sometimes be seen as a little bit of a controversial nutrient in the nutrition world, and this is soy. So for years, the public has perceived soy as like a health food, but actually this couldn't be further from the truth, at least, at least the way we eat it here in North America. So the bean part of soy, um, part of soy is actually found in most soy-based foods like tofu, soy milk, edamame, soybean oil, which is everywhere. Um, And this part of the soy bean is unfermented. And this unfermented form of soy is actually toxic to the body. And this is why in Asia, the most common practice is to actually soak and ferment the seed or bean to remove the toxin. But when you're consuming soy in North America through tofu and soy milk and edamame and soybean oil, it is not Um, It is unfermented, so it hasn't been fermented. And this could wreak havoc, again, on your thyroid and cause a lot of inflammation in the body. So so soy is another one of those inflammatory foods that I say completely remove when trying to get pregnant.
0: Okay, and now with these foods, are there exceptions, would you say? Like does every single person who wants to conceive need to remove them or is it more related to, as you mentioned, like – People with certain conditions or propensity for certain problems like a thyroid problem or whatnot?
1: Yes, great question. So my general rule of thumb in life is like 80-20 rule, right? Like it's nobody's ever gonna be perfect all the time. And if we strive for that perfection, we're just gonna fail, and then we're gonna be down on ourselves, and it's just gonna be, you know, a pity party for ourselves. So generally speaking, I say 80-20. And I say, you know, 80% of the time, eat as clean as you can. And, you know, if you're out and you're at a family dinner or you're at a restaurant and you want to go out with your friends and there's a juicy brownie on the table or you feel like having a glass of wine or you want to eat a burger that has a really glutinous bun, like go ahead and have it once in a while. But if you do have underlying chronic conditions like a thyroid disorder or if you, you know, have leaky gut or um, if you have, you know, there's 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 so many ways chronic inflammation can manifest in somebody's body, right? Like chronic headaches, eczema, psoriasis, um irritable bowel syndrome. It it's obviously going to be individual dependent, but if you are all around generally healthy and you're not experiencing any big health concerns or complaints, I would say follow the 80/20 rule. 80% of the time, eat super clean, 20% of the time if you want to indulge, go ahead and have a little bit of sugar, a little bit of gluten. But um for the majority of it, I would say reduce it as much as you can, these particular five foods.
0: Okay. I think that's probably um, a great thing for our audience to hear because I'm sure a lot of people are sitting here going, oh, no, I can't yes. cut out all those things. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. So that's – I always say to my clients first. Like, I mean, I'm we're all human. I do the same thing. Like, I love a good burger. And a good burger comes with a glutinous bun. And I'm going to eat that glutinous bun. <laughs> so actually one one tip I will give you is um, if you do consume this, I, will, I would always supplement that meal with a digestive enzyme. And because that digestive enzyme is going to aid the body in digesting these pro-inflammatory foods. So there's, I have like little kind of like tips and tricks that I give to my clients. You know, if you are going to indulge take a digestive enzyme, maybe take an extra probiotic that night before you go to bed, drink lots of water the next day. And if you can, maybe get in like a ginger shot and a green juice in the morning to help the body metabolize and like eliminate the 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 byproducts of these kind of quote unquote inflammatory foods.
0: That's great advice. Okay. So number one is remove. What's the second R? The second R is
1: replace. Replace the inflammatory foods or introduce fertility, nutrient-dense fertility foods. So that would be um, that I have five top, my top five fertility foods. And these are dark leafy greens, um, healthy fats and oils, collagen and gelatin in the form of homemade chicken bone broth, pasture-raised meats and eggs, and um, thyroid-boosting foods such as, you know, Brazil nuts, um, eggs, eggs. Um, also bone broth is great for your thyroid. So I have, you know, generally speaking, if you eat a whole foods, healthy diet, you know, you're, you're getting a lot of the great nutrients. Um, but specifically focusing on these five fertility boosting foods every day will also help optimize your fertility. Now, when I talk about this replace R, it's not only, I don't only focus on quote unquote, what you should be putting into your system, but you really need to focus on also how you are eating. So, um, at the end of the day, we need to have healthy, balanced hormones in order to conceive, right? Like we have to have a regular menstrual cycle, a fairly regular menstrual cycle, because in, in order to ovulate, you need to have a regular menstrual cycle in order to ovulate, you need to have balanced hormones in order to have balanced hormones the the key thing that i want everybody to remember is you have to know how to balance your blood sugar. And so so as part of this replace r, i teach my clients um what to eat but also how to eat. So how to eat a properly balanced meal, how to properly balance your blood sugar so that, you know, you can you can essentially balance your hormones at the end of the day.
0: Okay, that makes sense. And so it all kind of focuses around um like a balance, I guess when you're replacing things you're attempting to rebalance what maybe some of those inflammatory foods that you've removed have created an imbalance in absolutely i the The,
1: the phrase I like to use is like I like to crowd out the toxins by replacing it with nutrient dense fertility foods so if you' if you're you know if you're if you're eating a lot of toxic foods or even stress, stress can you know create an imbalance in the body, but when you put these new um, fertility nutrient foods or green foods back in, you're, you're like pushing those toxins out and then reintroducing healthy nutrients into the body. Yes.
0: Okay. So we have, um, remove replace, And then what's the third R? The third R is
1: repair. So repair focuses all around gut health. So, I mean, this is a a, a pretty common saying you are what you eat. But as a holistic nutritionist, this is an incomplete statement. We say you're not only what you eat, but you're also what you assimilate, what you digest, and also what you excrete. So, what also what you poop out, right? So, like that's the complete equation. So, you could be eating, you know, the quote unquote healthiest fertility diet in the world. But if you have a compromised digestive system and your body is not able to break down that food, assimilate it properly, and you're not having two to three healthy bowel movements daily to eliminate the toxins, right? If if you're constipated, you're recirculating those toxins in your system. So so again, you could be eating the healthiest diet in the world, but if you have a compromised gut, that is, you know, that's that's gonna that's that's more than half of the equation. So um, when this third R comes around, now when I work with my clients, I do um, a food sensitivity tests on them because really. When we start to look at repairing the gut, we need to really understand and address um, individual, an individual person's food sensitivities. What is their body, um, What is their body recognizing that is good for them and is working for them? And what is their body kind of pushing against, right? Like some people can eat a tomato and it's great for their body, but somebody who has rheumatoid arthritis eats a tomato, it's a nightshade and boom, their joints are on fire. So even though like a tomato is quote unquote known as a healthy food, maybe that is not serving somebody's body. So I always start by addressing personal food sensitivities. And then based on their food sensitivities, um, I, I like we, we look at, you know, different areas of their gut through, you know, a myriad of different factors that I have. There is I can do like leaky gut tests. I can look at inflammation in somebody's gut um, and and then from there, based on what I see, we then start to heal and, and nourish the, the digestive tract to start to heal and repair it so that the body is then able to take take what it needs from the foods, healthy foods that you're eating, and then eliminate and excrete um, the waste that your body does not need.
0: Okay. That makes sense. So um, remove, replace, repair, and then your last R is rebalance, correct? Yes rebalance. So now
1: that everything kind of, you know, you've removed the, the, the bad stuff, you have replaced it with the good stuff. Now you've, we've really worked on repairing the gut and now it's time to rebalance those, like all of these kind of do work together synergistically, but for purposes of like this methodology and for clarity for the client, it's, it's helpful to break it out this way. And the last one is to rebalance. So we want to eat we want to eat to rebalance our hormones. So the body actually has different nutritional needs at each week of our menstrual cycle, right? So like during your period, the body needs more magnesium, it needs more iron, and it needs more B vitamins. Um, During week two of the cycle, when our body is preparing for ovulation, like this requires tons of energy from the body. And so what we need to do is, you know, replenish more B vitamins at this time, and eat more anti-inflammatory foods at this time because Ovulation, like preparing for ovulation, is a little bit of an inflammatory process to the body itself. Um, in week three, when we switch over after we've ovulated, um, we, our estrogen um, starts to drop and our progesterone rises. And this is a recipe for disaster um, when it comes to blood sugar and also indigestion. So in week three, it's all about eating more fiber rich foods uh, and complex carbs and tons of dark leafy greens. And then in week four of our cycle, our body is, this is like our PMS week. Um, Also, we need to reduce inflammatory foods as much as possible and increase antioxidant rich foods. So I'd say in week four, we eat a lot more coconut oil, grass fed beef, berries, and dark chocolate. That's as an example, let's say. But what you're doing is when I teach my clients to eat for their cycle to help rebalance their hormones. By replenishing depleted nutrients in each week based on your hormonal fluctuations and where you are in the cycle and supplying the body with the energy and the nutrients that it needs, you're not only helping balance your hormones, but you're also helping beat PMS because I think as women, we all know so many of us deal with um, the challenges of PMS. Um, Eating for your cycle also helps you just feel amazing and have lots of energy. And then at the end of the day, for purposes of fertility, it really does help you optimize and preserve fertility by essentially supporting the body's natural hormonal rhythm cycle through the foods that you're eating.
0: So I can totally see why you made this for our program, because it definitely makes it more digestible. I think when you can think of it in this like step-by-step process. Um, And so I so appreciate you sharing this with our audience today because I think it will speak to a lot of people who are listeners. Um, As we wrap up the podcast, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? Yes, actually. It's one last thing here. So
1: I would say as well, it it goes back to a point that you were making um, more at the beginning of the podcast. But if you're thinking about getting pregnant in the near future, I would say, you know, as, as you had mentioned, give yourself at least three months to ramp up your nutrient stores because, uh, and if you can go longer than that, even better. But one thing I want everybody to always remember and take away from this is that when you get pregnant, your baby will take everything from you. Everything that's the baby's job is to just steal all the nutrients from the host and survival for the baby. And then the mama gets left dried up like a raisin. So, so if you come into, uh, if you come into pregnancy with an already low, uh, nutrient reserves, um, your pregnancy is going to be more uncomfortable. It might be more difficult and your bounce back after will also be more challenging, right. With regards to your balance of your hormones, um, your sleep quality, also, um, how fast maybe you can drop that weight after you, after you've given birth. So like just. Really think about the benefits that you're not only doing for your baby, but you're also doing for yourself and how much more pleasant the the most magical time of a woman's life will be because, you know, only women can get pregnant and women only do this a few times in their lifetime. And as much as we can, we want this to be a joyous experience. Um, when we know pregnancy comes with all of its complications as it is, but there is a way to come into it with just a little bit more grace and a little bit more ease, and we fully have control to take power over that. So so that was the last thing that I just want to say. Your baby will take everything from you, so do everything you can at the beginning to just ramp up your stores as much as you can.
0: Absolutely. And uh, another point kind of to that same effect is that oftentimes women can't eat as well during pregnancy. You know, people have – Morning sickness, which unfortunately is not always just strictly limited to the first trimester. For some women, they experience this morning sickness or, you know, food aversions and whatnot throughout their entire pregnancy. And so, you know, if you have these stores ahead of time, not only is it helping you not deplete yourself, but it's allowing your body to utilize those stores should you not be able to eat, you know, certain types of food or whatnot during pregnancy.
1: Exactly. Exactly. If we think about it, like now it's like, think about putting money in your savings account for God forbid, a time when COVID happens and we lose our jobs, but look, we now have all this back end store of money in our savings account. We don't have to stress too hard. Right. So it's, it's another little way, analogy of of a way of looking at it for sure. For sure. And, and as one of my clients says, when she got pregnant, she's like, I'm eating like I'm eating like a 12-year-old boy, Nora, and nothing is going to stop me. <laughs> I'm not going to eat any other way. Like I just I just can't. I can't touch anything else. It's pizza and chips. And, you know, sometimes that's the way it is. So if you do the work up front, then you're in a much better place. Absolutely.
0: Well, Nora, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Can you just tell our listeners how they can find out about you and your program if they want more information? Yes. Um, So actually I've got
1: um, a a free guide for anybody who's listening and it's called um, how to eat, to get pregnant um, by eating for your menstrual cycle. And if you go to www.naturallynora.ca backslash eat, you can download the guide there and you get tons of recipes and um, weekly inspiration of what's going on in your body and, and how to optimize fertility through eating for your menstrual cycle. And you can also find me. Um, just my website is www.naturallynora.ca, uh, and Instagram. I'm my handle is naturally underscore Nora. So a few different, a few different places you can find me.
0: Amazing! And we'll put all of that information in the show notes so everyone can easily access it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the preconception podcast. I really appreciate you sharing. Your background and your approach to um, the preconception period, and your resources with our with our audience, because I truly believe that the more information everyone can get, is only going to be of benefit.
1: Yes, and thank you, Christy, so much for for having me on the show. And I'm I love I love what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing, and I love your podcast. And um, I feel I feel honored and grateful to to be here chatting with you today. So thank you, thank you for the opportunity.
0: Thank you so much. The
1: information provided in the Preconception podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be interpreted as medical advice. Please speak with your healthcare provider to learn more about your health before pregnancy.